Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Gino Colangelo, the founder of Colangelo and Partners in Colangelo PR. Uh, Gino, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth, for having me. This is a very exciting opportunity. Uh, great. Well, let's go back in time. What prompted you to start a PR firm? You had, been, you had spent quite a bit of time in the industry already. How did that get started and how did you branch out on your own? Uh, ever since I was a kid, I, I uh, was inclined to do my own business rather than work for somebody else. Um, from when I was 12 years old, you know, cutting lawns and painting houses, the other kids were working at McDonald's, and I was very proud of cash in my pocket and my own schedule and nobody telling me what to do. I have three older brothers, a traditional Italian-American family, and I have a really hard time with people telling me what to do uh, growing up. <laughs> so um, it made sense for me to be in my own business. Um, uh, I think it's something that I was bound to do uh, regardless of being sidetracked along the way. I was 10 years in my own retail business before spending 10 years with a global PR agency and now 14 years back in my own PR agency. Okay. So I get being unemployable and want to um, do your own thing and be your own boss and be in charge. So talk to us a little bit about the sidetrack of corporate America and how that inspired you to start your own firm. Again, I wouldn't say I'm unemployable because a lot of the, uh, the work ethic and the, and the commitment and the passion for work uh, that I applied in my own business obviously benefited the company I worked for, though they have to put up with me, right? Somebody who's very strong-minded and um, has strong opinions and very passionate. But um, I, uh, in addition to being uh, suited to being an entrepreneur, I'm also uh, I I've always been an avid reader and writer, and writing has always been a passion of mine. So I got um, my first job out of college was as a copywriter in an ad agency in Osaka, Japan. And um, I, when I, I was there for about three years, when I came back to the states, I got into a retail business with uh, one of my brothers. And we did that for 10 years. But I, I really wanted to be in the communications industry. I wanted to use my writing skills. So I got a job. Uh, I 
applied for a job with a large global agency thinking I'd be a copywriter and I was put in a PR agency. I didn't even know what PR was, but it suited me because I could write and I could talk and I could sell. Um, All valuable skills. <laughs> yeah. And in PR, you're always selling. I tell people who apply for jobs with me that PR is the toughest of jobs because you're always a seller and you're never a buyer. And every business has a buyer-seller relationship. In PR, you're selling your services to a client or you're selling a story idea to a journalist. Um, so that the business suited me. I was in it for 10 years, but I, I got a little antsy going to endless rounds of meetings without seeming prog without any apparent progress. And uh, I started looking for my own clients within this very large global company called Dentsu. And um, I landed a couple of clients uh, that suited me. Uh, one, I needed the money. Two, I wanted the control. And that's a good reason to be an entrepreneur, money and control. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I picked up, I was working for a $20 billion global advertising agency in a PR department. And I picked up a little wine client with billings that were really uh, minuscule relative to the company I worked for. But I had a boss who just gave me free reign and didn't tell me not to pursue that business. But I fell in love with uh, the wine business. And then I picked up some food business and some premium spirits business. And I said, wow, this is kind of a nice world. And I left the corporate world, which I think I was bound to do at some point anyway, just temperamentally. And I started an agency to focus exclusively on food, wine, and spirits. Okay. I've switched segues into my next question. You're not a traditional ad agency that'll, a traditional PR agency that'll try and get press for, or coverage for everybody. You have a very specific niche. So did that all evolve out of the first client or was there a specific, did you have it start off with a specific passion for the niche and built it on purpose? You know, it's funny. I'm not a, not a, I love wine, but uh, what I really love are the stories of, about the people who make the wine winemakers are essentially farmers. They live with the land. They deal with wildfires in California or drought or hailstorms. And I just loved the earthiness of the people who make wine. So that was my, became my passion beside the passion to have my own business. But more than the passion was just a business decision. I just saw the world going to specialization, you know, and, um, I was best able to serve my clients by being very immersed in the business, being an integral connector for different parts of the business, being knowledgeable about the business, and uh, just kept doubling down on the specialization. And um, we are now, uh, we're about 55 people, which makes us, you know, still boutique-ish for PR agencies, generally speaking. But in terms of our industry, uh, fine wine and spirits, uh, there's no second place to us. We, we dominate the business in the U.S. And um, I think that's a good position to be in as a business owner. Absolutely. So what do you attribute your success to? F focus and specialization. Um, we... Uh, we become important to our clients because we can connect them to other players in the business that are important to them as well. Uh, we also have an understanding 
of the, the business of alcoholic beverage in the United States is pretty complex because of regulation. There's every state, uh, 50 states have 50 different sets of rules and regulations and laws. And if you're not familiar with how the business works at from the importer to the distributor, to the restaurant retail, to the consumer, it's very hard to know what is most effective in terms of your service offering to your clients. Um, so by specialization, we had, and, and we didn't start out 14 years ago saying we are going to focus and specialize and do nothing but wine and spirits, but it's evolved that way. Um, because we kept seeing opportunity within the, within the fields we were working in. Um, about five years ago, I was talking to my brother, my partner, um, about uh, do we, we need to diversify. So this is contradicting what I was saying earlier, but we were very heavy in European wine. And I said, you know, a lot of our business is based on funding from the European Union to these wineries and these organizations. And it feels like we have all our eggs in one basket. But the way we diversified was opening an office in San Francisco to tap into domestic wine. So our idea of diversification wasn't going into hotels or going into restaurants or going into airlines. It was in domestic wine versus European wine. Uh, and that's what I mean. You know, so again, our idea of diversification might be a little different than somebody else's. Sure. So if you're the only pure specialized PR firm in the industry, and obviously you're doing a great job. What, with all that success, what's your biggest challenge now? Well, we're not the only one. We're just by, right. by a factor of four, the biggest one. Um, Pre-pandemic, our biggest challenge was getting qualified staff. You know, we need uh, people who are technically knowledgeable about wine, but also PR pros or PR pros who have an interest in wine and spirits and uh, are avid to learn about it. So uh, there's certifications in wines and spirits that our, our staff have. But at the, at the end of the day, they still need to be great PR people. So our pre-pandemic, our biggest issue was finding talent. Um, today, you know, our, our competitors are not other agencies typically. Our competitors are whether, you know, whether that our, our client is going to hire another salesperson or our client is going to buy four pages in Wine Spectator. Uh, that's our competition more than uh, other agencies. Okay, so you mentioned the challenge of finding the right staff pre-pandemic. I, I, what is it? Has that changed since the pandemic? It's definitely changed. You know, we have not um, had any layoffs. Uh, we we made a decision to maintain our team. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, but we know that a lot of agencies have uh, gutted their staffs, and and other agencies have even closed. So, the situation is completely different in terms of qualified staff. Now the now our job is to create enough demand to need that staff. Got it. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see companies, um, the winemakers or the spirits makers in your industry making when it comes to trying to get coverage for their stories? Uh, 
PR is all about storytelling uh, that is real. You know, you can't pretend to be somebody you're not. And I think some clients try to just change their story like they change their clothes. Uh, just they have to be true to themselves. Uh, and um, I know that sounds like a truism, but that's what becomes interesting. What what attracts me most to PR is that um, it's storytelling. And my my father used to say that every everybody has a story, and you know you just have to find it. But uh, people need to be real. They need to be authentic, and um, they need to be willing to to know who they are. You mentioned storytelling several times so far. What uh, do you think are some other, you mentioned being real and authentic. What are some of the other elements that make a great story that the media views as coverage worthy? Uh, vulnerability, um, individualism, uh, you know, vision. Um, you know, media don't want uh, somebody who's just running spreadsheets all day. They want somebody who has a vision to make a great wine or a great tequila and, and then, you know, overcomes any obstacles in order to do so. Okay. What has, is your approach to getting coverage for your clients changed at all since the pandemic started? Yeah, it's changed a lot, you know, pre pandemic, you know, the world of fine wine and fine spirits is driven. It's very tactile and it's very taste driven. And about 25% of our business was uh, events uh, where people would come and taste our clients' products. Um, we can't do events anymore. So we've switched very quickly to digital activations and more, more sales driven promotions. I talk a lot to my team about getting closer to the point of sale, even though we're a PR agency. And what that means is we have to deliver results to our clients that have a measurable benefit um, in terms of their bottom lines. And when clients or potential clients ask me, well, how do I measure your success? I tell them, you know, it's like uh, that Supreme Court justice who said, about pornography. How I know do, it when I see you know, it. It's pornography. I, well, I know it when I see it. Yeah. I, I say to the clients, you'll know it when you see it. Um, you'll feel it in your bottom line. You'll feel it in the marketplace. You'll be on a call and some people say they read about your wine in, in you know, uh, the New York Times or um, somebody will call you because uh, they were recommended by a sommelier who we tasted on your wine. So, um, it's measurable benefit is, um, is, is tangibly felt by entrepreneurs who are on top of their business every day. Now, has any of your, in light of the fact that you can't do a lot of events, uh, have you, and you talked about the digital model, how much of your coverage is net, was traditional wine media like Wine Spectator or, a mag, or something like that versus online like a blogger? It really is, that's driven by the, the wine or the spirit. So like if we have a very uh, rare allocated wine like Ornelia or Massetto, uh, which are very, uh, some of the great wines of Italy and great wines of the world, that is driven by a few key publications in the wine world, as well as luxury lifestyle publications with readership who frankly can afford those wines. But then if we're dealing with um, Prosecco, which is a 
ubiquitous wine on shelf in every wine store and grocery store, a wine people love to drink every day, a $15 bottle. Well, there we want consumer lifestyle media, we want lifestyle bloggers, uh, influencers. So it's very driven by each individual wine and the strategy of each individual client. Okay, and what are, has the media response changed at all in light of the pandemic? Are you having to tell different stories in a different way? No, actually we find we have more attention from media because they're as, uh, as sort of isolated <laughs> as we are, you know, physically in their homes. Uh, typically wine media are traveling constantly and it, sometimes it's hard to intersect with them when you need them to taste a wine and write about a wine. Now they're home. And uh, so there's, they're actually been more available to us. They're also looking to write more. A lot of them have backlogs of stories because of this travel pre-pandemic. So um, that part of our business has actually been refreshingly, uh, you know, strong in terms of our ability to deliver stories for our clients. Awesome. Uh, what else do you want to share that I didn't think to ask you? Uh, the benefit, I mean, you, the benefits of being an entrepreneur, you know, you, I, I, I know that your, your, your listeners know this and you certainly know it better than me, but, um, there's nothing better than being passionate about what you're doing every day. And, uh, and being responsible to your own bottom line and, um, not having your fate, uh, decided by somebody who may not have the ultimate interest of the client, the business, or yourself in mind, may have other motives and motivations. So um, it's not easy all the time, but uh, it, it certainly, um, especially in this wine business, because you deal with so many other, or in spirits business, you deal with entrepreneurs who start brands or, or, or wineries and you relate to them on a like-minded level. And um, I would say that uh, it's, uh, it's everybody's a free agent and um, whether, whether you work for a company, work for yourself, it, it's a fallacy to think that, you know, you're, there's any security anymore in the world. So you may as well do it for yourself. <laughs> Get, reap the benefit as, uh, since you're always going to have the risk. Absolutely. For our folks who are watching or listening and might be in the wine or spirits business, where is the best place for them to go to learn more about you? Uh, ColangeloPR.com. C-O-L-A-N-G-E-L-O-P-R.com. All right. Well, this has been Seth Green with Gino Colangelo. Gino, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Take thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll talk Bye. to you next time. Bye. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text pitch to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. 
This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.